Wilder. It's been almost a week and a half since we taped, and we've got a couple of things to tape tonight, but how's your week been? Uh, It's been busy, busy, busy. How are you doing? I'm really, really well. Uh, But because we sort of had a little bit of a hiatus there, I continued to watch. I want to ask you, I know you stopped watching the Monica Lewinsky series, and I did urge you to reconsider your decision. Did you do that? No, I didn't have time. (laughs) Okay. Well, it finished last night. So, and we're taping on a Wednesday. So the last episode, and I was so taken by the sixth episode, which is when Monica is picked up by the FBI, surrounded by a kajillion men and sits Mm -hmm. there. I wrote a write-up on that particular episode because it just exploded the feminist in me. Did you get a chance to read it? I did. It's really, it was very powerful and it did make me reconsider whether or not I wanted to go. Just watch watch that episode. (laughs) I don't care if you don't watch any of the others. Um, How did it end? Did you like the ending? I thought the ending was disappointing um, in the way that Dexter's ending was disappointing. Remember Dexter? Yes. And I'm very curious to jump back into that show because They've brought back characters that were supposedly dead. So I'm curious how we're going to get to play with that. Well, I'm excited to see it because I liked Dexter. I was, I felt very fond of him. (laughs) I I was a Dexter fan through season four. Mm. Um, I still liked it after that, but I thought, I thought John Lithgow just set the bar so high. Maybe there should be a permanent limit on the number of seasons, any show, no matter how popular it can be. Maybe you should say no more than five seasons and you've got to get it done in those five seasons. I think you'd get a lot of pushback from Law & Order, NCIS, and Grey's Anatomy fans. Well, they can just open a new one. You know, they can move move from Chicago to Alabama. I don't care where they go. Those those fans are loyal (laughs) and those people will kill. Well, anyway, someone wrote in about episode six. It was a comment from Avery. And she said, oh, yes, the series is absolutely fantastic and equally horrifying. It's interesting for me to see now as a full-fledged adult how everything played out. At the time the events occurred, I was around Monica's age. And while I did grasp the atrocious Linda's betrayal of Monica, I didn't have nearly as much sympathy as I do now for Monica and all she endured. Episode six really knocked me off my feet. And I think your article was an excellent job of capturing the injustice that occurred in that room. You know, if you're not going to watch the whole thing, you could just watch episode six and episode 10, and you could get the the gist of what happened in a way that will really be enlightening for you. So I just want to put that one plug out there. All right. And the second thing is, did you watch the trailer for Meet the Ricardos? I did. I did. What did you think? Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. You know, I grew up with I Love Lucy. And since Mm -hmm. we only had about three TV shows a week that you could even watch that were even on TV other than the news, it was a big deal for, Mm -hmm. I don't know, a kajillion years. So for me, wanting to see it, and of course, it's written by the best screenwriter of our time. It's not a question. Aaron Sorkin, I can't help but be excited about it. Nicole Kidman and Javier Bardem. And so, you know, yeah, I can't wait, but then I couldn't help but wanting to ask you, you didn't grow up with I Love Lucy. Did you even watch it? Oh yeah, I watched it. Um, I haven't seen the whole show, but you know, I've seen, I've seen all the classics. I've seen the Vita Vita Benjamin episode, you know, the, the winemaking episode I've seen. The chocolate episode, I think. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've seen quite a bit of I Love Lucy and Lucille Ball's a, 
she, I think she has to be a hero to every woman who goes through Hollywood because she just, she set the standard for women in Hollywood. She huh. saved CBS and really that's, yeah. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I just didn't know what your generation thinks of it. And so that's oh, really good she's to incredible. Know. Um, yeah. and I, and I think that's what the movie's about and I'm excited for that. I will say having known that Kate Blanchett was supposed to play Lucy. I didn't uh, know that. I am disappointed. I love Nicole Kidman. I do love her, but listening to the voiceover in that trailer, I was like, that's not Lucy's voice. Oh, I thought it was pretty good. No. Oh, oh, no. Lucy's got that brightness in her voice. That's just so much fun. And she's so warm and, I don't know. Kate Blanchett does such a beautiful job of being able to capture a character's essence, especially when she played Catherine Hepburn. I, I don't know if Nicole will do that, but she looked great. I mean, there's, there's only really one shot of getting to see her as yeah. Lucy in the trailer. And I was like, Oh, she does look like her. Actually, um, there's a second trailer out too. And there's more shots of her there, but okay. so what do you think about Sarkin writing it? Oh, I think he's, I think he's great. I don't know about him as director because I, well, mm-hmm. he's done one thing, but it's it was pretty he's done good. Two. He's done two. He's done Molly's Game and uh, Trial of Chicago Seven. Oh, wow! He's directed yeah. two films. You think uh, we would remember that more <laughs> more immediately since they were up for an Academy Award, and I love him. Um, <laughs> but wait, why didn't she take the part? What happened to her? Oh, I'm sure it was a scheduling conflict or something. Okay. But um, no, she she was set to play it. And, you know, a friend of mine is actually producing that movie. And she's, you know. I love the idea that actresses in their 40s could have scheduling conflicts when 10 years ago they couldn't get a role. I mean, Kate Blanchett is Kate Blanchett. I, I don't know. I drop everything to put her in a movie. She can play whatever she wants, you yeah. know. <laughs> Okay, but now we're going to move into, I can't even introduce this movie. Uh, you know, I, I don't know why I listen to you. I don't know why I don't say to you, you do it. I'll, I'll interview you on it. You make me watch these, these movies. You're going to do the intro. I'm not even doing it. Uh, all right. Um, well, this is going to be an interesting <laughs> conversation. Um, we're going to be talking about Dune today. It is based on the sci-fi fantasy novel of the same name. Written and in 1965, by the way. 1965. It is a, it's an epic sci-fi story about a young man who comes into his own after great change and transition from his home world to an, a completely different, deserted desert planet uh, where he has to find his own path. But he was life. also supposed to be special. He was sort of like the JFK Jr. They had great aspirations that were always scheduled. He's the for Duke's him. son. Um, this is quite the aristocratic royal story. It, it, it very much is about the conflict between the, the great houses of the galaxy um, and his is the house of Atreides. They've been given control of the planet that controls the spice that runs the universe. Spice is essentially cocaine um, and it allows the captains of their interstellar, tri- interstellar ships to navigate because this is a post AI world, this post technological world. But what's interesting about that is in 65, there was not a lot of cocaine rolling around. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of cocaine. Like you get to, you get to have some cool visions of the future. It's, you know, it's, it's a blast apparently. 
but it, it is what allows transport to happen intergalactically in this world. And so whoever controls this world really controls the universe. Um, and the emperor is setting up the family to fail in taking over this world. It's like Star Wars meets Star Trek with a family. Mm, kind of. I mean, it's Star Wars in the sense of scope, Star Trek because it's in space. But ultimately, it's really it's it's more of a fantasy film. It's more of a fantasy story. It's wait, wait, it's, wait. Star Trek and Star Wars were not fantasies. No, those are science science fiction. I mean, Star Wars is definitely fantasy. It's based on every hero's journey of exactly, all time. Yeah, but Star yeah. Star Trek is science fiction. Okay, um, that's fair. And yeah, this is while it is science fiction in the sense of like, yeah, it takes place in space and it takes place in the future, and there's technology we don't understand and we don't know, it really is a traditional fantasy backdrop, right? It's it's houses warring amongst each other. There's there's fantastical beasts within the world. There's fantastical magic that we don't understand. Like it very much is a, a fantasy backdrop. Um, okay. But it's, I, have, I have a question for you. Sure. But just to preface, it is only the first half of the book. So for those of you who are going to see it that have not read the book, be, it does say up top part one, but it is, it, it's not going to be a full story. It's, it's only half the story. Okay. So by the way, the fact that this is a perfect time for me to ask you one of the many questions I have for you today, Wilder. Okay. Do you know what the budget was for this film? I mean, I can only imagine it's, it's the, the scope of this film is remarkable. Do you know it's, what the budget for this film was? I don't. What was okay. it? Okay. $165 million. I would have guessed 150. So it would have been okay. off by about 15 million. Do you think there was better uses of that money? <laughs> oh, that's not a fair question to ask Hollywood ever. Why? Because India sent a satellite to Mars for $60 million. So stop asking me that question because the answer is always well, yes. We well done. Well done. <laughs> Great, great comeback, but we really don't need to spend another 165 for part two. You are so wrong. <laughs> you are so, so wrong. So uh, Hollister, answer this question. Did you like the movie? You know what? I, I had so many things to, I mean, I have so many things to say about it, but so I guess for me, I don't have to like a movie, but I certainly have to come away realizing that I spent my time wisely. And how do you feel? In I get it. To I totally get it. And also, I kept reminding myself that it, you know, comes from a book from 1965. So if they made it back then, can you imagine what? I mean, I can't. Well, there is it. a previous version. David Lynch did a previous version that's been banned oh, yeah. huh. historically. <laughs> but I, but it was a total bomb, right? Yes, absolutely. But yeah. it is a cult classic. People, there are a lot of people who do love that movie. I haven't seen it personally, but um, I have read the book and. I, I think this movie truly is made for the book lovers, which is a feat for a, a book from 1965. Mm -hmm. I don't know how people who haven't read the book feel about it. I think they, there might be a lack of understanding a little bit. Um, it is quite the slow burn, lack of an appreciation for where the story is going, I think. You can watch it on HBO, but I don't recommend that. No, I think go, go to a theater. Yeah. And I think, I think if you watch it on HBO, you're going to miss the opportunity so I, we went at like 11 o'clock in the morning. There was only one other group there. We sat on mm -hmm. the other side of the theater, felt totally safe. Yeah, we did the same thing. So yeah, no, I liked it. I just, 
always have to ask myself the question at the end, am I better having seen this film? And the answer is no. Why? Why is the answer no? Because, you know, I just, I don't know. I mean, and what's interesting to me is when I looked at the cast, I mean, we've got to talk about the cast, right? Okay, so I looked at the cast and I have a couple of questions for you. Ready? Mm -hmm. Wilder, let's play Sesame Street. <laughs> I don't know what Sesame okay. Street the game you know is, but let's you know play what? it. You're going to recognize it immediately. Timothy Chalamet. Yes. Call Me By My Name, Lady Bird, Beautiful Boy, mm -hmm. Little Women, and Dune. You tell me which one is not like all the others. <laughs> oh, I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly. Well, uh, what, what, why do you, do you think this is a lesser role? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, Hollister. I don't know that you have a proper appreciation for the depth. I, of I clearly don't. And it might be my age because when I talk to my friends about you, they say they quite often, they're like, she loves this stuff. And I'm like, she does. And, but <laughs> And then my daughter's like, I love, you know, she's great. You know, and I'm thinking, wow, okay, it might be a generational thing. I don't know. Are you talking about sci-fi stuff? What do you, what no, are we, I what, mean, like, what stuff Leia. do I love that? You know, I, I mean, back in my day, it was Leia. Princess Leia? Yeah. Carrie Fisher? Yeah. What, what about her? That she was amazing? And fantastic. And she was, she was. But if you can't see powerful. the difference between Ladybird, Call Me by My Name, Beautiful Boy, Little Women, and then Dune on the as the outsider, I mean, come on. Even the No, I think I, I don't think I'm at fault here. I think you are. I think if Timothy Chalamet is taking all of those roles and then chooses to take this one, I think there's He's such a great actor. He can make anything work. And it's funny because as I read about the film and I realized that more than any sci-fi film I've ever seen, and I haven't seen that many, I see the one she makes me go to, let's face okay. it. <laughs> um, but I haven't seen that many, but more than any that I have seen, his role was so important to everything, mm -hmm. you know, and usually there's a number of characters that sort of make up a sci-fi thing. And, you mm -hmm. know, I don't, I don't think one stands up. I think they picked the right guy for the job for sure. Absolutely. I just wonder why he took it. That's what I'm saying is I, I think there's, there's a depth to this role. And by the way, if you haven't read the book, um, I would encourage you to, because it's a great read. Um, great. And when you did you read the book? Recently, actually. I, um, I We listened to it. You know, that cross-country drive we just yeah. did? Oh. We listened to Dune. Oh. Um, and it was a blast. We had like a cast recording and I was fascinated by it. It was really interesting for me because I knew there was the film and I didn't know that it was two parts. And so I was like trying to figure out how I would break the story. Denise did a much better job than I would have done. Uh, but it's epic. You know, the story is a definition of epic. Mm. And his character, Paul Atreides, at the center of this, there's certainly destiny that plays a role within his character's arc. But it's the journey that he goes on, this hero's, this pretty traditional hero's journey that he goes on, but that he becomes so powerful, he falls into this role. And so much happens to him, but the ability of Timothy Chalamet to take control of that as an actor and not feel just like a victim, mm -hmm. I think is 
incredibly powerful and that they wrote this character and the, and the original in the book is also written this way. This is multifaceted character. This is someone who. No, that's what I mean. He is really complex and very well played. Great guy for the job. Just wonder. But that's why you take the role, right? Because Uh, there are, there are so many layers and because. I don't know. I need to chat with him about it. I'll get back. All right. You let me know how that conversation goes and (laughs) you know, we'll regroup. Okay, we're gonna play. We're gonna play the game one more time. Okay, okay. Stellan Skarsgård, who I think is an amazing actor, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, Goodwill Hunting, Amistad, Nymphomaniac, The Painted Bird, Chernobyl, and Dune. Which one of these is okay. not like you're the missing? Others? You're missing a very crucial movie in there. What is it? Mamma Mia. Oh, well, I left it out on purpose because then I thought you can't you can't play Sesame Street and leave things out and say that one is not like the other. And you absolutely can by your own rules there, Hollister. Um, Anyway, you know, I by the way, I I was surprised, honestly, to see him in that role. I I was um, too. Yeah, I do think Denis Villeneuve, who is the director of this, attracts great talent. I think he's a tastemaker. I think he's on the cusp. I think he's. Also, he's brave. You know, after David Lynch failed drastically on this film, the fact that he was even willing, I mean, A, that they gave him the money Mm -hmm. and B, that, well, and B, that he was willing to do it. You've got to give him that and you've got to take that into consideration. Uh, It's a risk. It was a high risk moment. I mean, I'm sure this was a passion project for him. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. And also I I have passion projects, too. They do not cost one hundred and sixty five million dollars. Oh, mine do. Um, (laughs) But I do think it's quite telling that Dune Part Two only got greenlit after Dune Part One was released and did well. Um, Well, that's I mean, that's just obvious. Yeah, that's just not obvious. Well, Um, this is it's a huge it's a huge the same risk. Same thing happened with Wonder Woman. Well, he no a, a not really. I I mean, but Wonder Woman is a whole story. The, the that film is a story unto itself. It's a, it's a bookended story. It is it is one movie, and it's not. It doesn't end in the middle, right? And then say, okay, well, we haven't started shooting part two yet, right? This well, is the other the other thing big, is- big roll of the dice. <laughs> In the last half hour, it was so clear to me they were setting this up for you. I can't wait to see the next part, mm-hmm. you know, and I, that always irritates me when you take a movie and instead of giving it a beginning, a middle and an end, you give it a beginning, a middle and a hook. And well, in my mind, that is the downfall of the film. Even the last line, it's just the beginning. I'm, I can give it to you. I don't care if it's a spoiler. It's really not. It doesn't even work necessarily but it's clearly i I, you need an ending every film should be it should have a a a curtain that comes down on the ending i think i don't disagree with you i do think um having being familiar with the book i i understand why he ended it there as a film lover it wasn't my favorite yeah Um, and i i'm sure there are quite a few people out there who are disappointed but I will say, I, I think most of those people will be coming back for part two. Uh, well, when you spend that much money and you, uh, yeah, I agree they will. It, you know, especially if everybody signs on for it. So. Oh, um, well, I mean, that's one of the great things is, of where they, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but there's, there's a lot of casts to come. I will, put, I will share it that way. Um, yeah. And there's, there, there aren't necessarily a ton of repeat cast members. 
Yeah. Now, do you think this is, I wanted to ask this because we have a lot of um, families that uh, where the parents listen, do you think it's a family film? Of a certain age? I think I, I what's it rated? PG-13? Yeah. Um, I, I think for 13 year olds, considering, um, considering they go see all the Marvel movies, Avengers, all of that. I think absolutely. This is a family movie. I think also it's a coming of age story, right? This is, this is a traditional Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And I think, I think teenagers love that. And I think the scope of this film is so awe-inspiring. Like the, the shots, first of all, the movie's beautiful. I'm not. I'm really over the desaturated palette. I'm really ready to put color back into my movies, but this is an exception to that rule. It's stunning. It's vast. It makes you feel small. You will appreciate water in all of its glory walking out of this movie, especially as And and that's a good thing always, Um, right? Yes. But the, the scope of the film in terms of space and what we all aspire to the design of the spacecrafts of the planes and the, and, and the technology that they use on the planet, I think is so interesting. It's so, it's really fascinating. There's a lot of detail from the book that they included in this because this is a society that has, has grown past machinery because they don't trust technology, right? This is a society in which Something previously has happened where they no longer trust computers. Every time, every piece of that is so interesting to me because in '65 that was groundbreaking, and that just oh yeah, yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think you know this is this is of the time of foundation. Also, Isaac Asimov, right? The '60s. That's where where that's coming out of as well. Um, I haven't watched the show yet. I'm very interested to see it. I hear it's not terribly similar to the books. I think I think they've enlarged it in quite quite a way. But I think Denis's vision for this is stunning. I was so breathless watching this film because the, the size of the spaceships alone was like, holy crap, this is amazing. Like, yeah. it's huge. This is where we want our society to go. Like, this is so cool and fun. And now we can do it because we have the technology to do it. And like, I don't know, I was on board. I was all game. I thought they did a great job. I wish maybe it had a little more humor. I think there's some humor in the book that they kind of missed. They got a little bit of it with a Jason Momoa character. Yeah, Um, that's true. I don't think it needed it. I think there was so much going on. It didn't need it, but okay. Music in in films like this is very important. What'd you think of the music? And Um, Hans Zimmer, by the way, who was a huge fan of the novel, mm -hmm. he turned down working with his frequent collaborator, uh, Christopher Nolan, on Tenet, which came out in 2020, so just so he could score this film. Um, um, that's not a surprise to me at all. Um, I, I, You can always spot a Hans Zimmer score because you will feel it in the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the what I call the Hans Zim is quite prevalent in this movie. Uh, you will feel that Zim all the way through. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think it's a little bit overkill. Uh, I, it kind of overpowers the movie at times, which I think there are times when that's helpful and times when that's intended. And then there are times where it detracts from the story and it detracts from the film. And there are moments within this that I felt overpowered by the score, but he's genius. And I loved his use of percussion within this movie because it's a desert nomadic people that we're telling the story of. 
drums are a very big part of that world of that music of that culture. And I think, I think he did a beautiful job of tying that in. I will say there is quite a lack of Middle Eastern and Arabic culture within the film that I missed. Cause when you're talking about a desert and nomadic people that's fighting over one resource, you know, you're talking about oil. <laughs> yeah, you are. I recommend going. I think you should go with people. Okay, so interestingly enough, Denis Villeneuve, who was the director, turned down No Time to Die to direct this. And what's funny to me is No Time to Die is another blockbuster kind of film. I feel like sort of America's going back to the movies on these two films. And isn't it funny Mm -hmm. how they're connected that way? I thought it was really sort of cool. I think that's wonderful. I think, I think Denis is a world builder. I think if you've seen Arrival, you can see that in yeah. his filmmaking. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited to see what he does next after the second yeah. part of Dune. <laughs> well, and the other thing is, um, so David Lynch, we just have to go back to his huge failure and why I think it was risky for them to do this. And I'm glad they did. So he was the director, as we mentioned before, um, which was in the previous Doom, which was in 1984. And his, here's what his quote is. He said that he has zero interest in Dune 2021. And he said that his issues with the new movie have nothing to do with the director, but with his own painful memories of making mm-hmm. a 1984 version. Because it was a heartache for me, it was a failure, and I didn't have final cut. I've told this story a billion times. It's not the film I want to make. I like certain parts of it very much, but it was a total failure for me, which is a good thing to point out because we always blame the director, you you know, and the truth is something. And the director always blames the writer. (laughs) Back then, especially, they don't have the same kind of control that they demand now. They didn't. Well, it depends. It depends on the movie. It depends on the director. It depends on the studio. Um, And it depends on where you're at in your career, right? David Lynch, I don't think was quite David Lynch when he made Doom. And now he is, and he can demand that on his films. And he also makes his own. He's, you know, a David Lynch movie. You know a David Lynch movie when you watch a David Lynch movie. And I think we're getting to know a Denis Villeneuve movie as well, right? It, you, can, you can spot his amongst the crowd. And I think that that's, this is the type of film that allows a filmmaker to break away from the crowd and become a filmmaker, right? And not just a director. Okay, and I'm yeah. very excited by that. Okay, little trivia questions for you. So do you know how long Skarsgård had to sit for makeup every Oh my God, day? I can't even imagine. How long? Seven hours. Oh, for like it's 10 just, minutes on film. You know, he's he's so barely minute, in the movie. He plays, Baron, he plays Baron. And the minute you go to this film, just take a moment when you see him to say seven hours, seven hours. Yeah. I, by the way, I don't know that I could sit seven hours. I think I'd hurt it's somebody. very hard. Jim Carrey famously had to undergo CIA torture training in order to be able to sit for as long as he did while getting his makeup for the Grinch. Exactly. Because it was so painful for him. Okay. Now, do you know where some of these, uh, some of it was shot? I'm assuming Jordan, but I'm not sure. Yep. You're right. Well, it's shot in mostly three places, Norway, mm-hmm. Jordan, and Abu Dhabi. So, Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well done. Well done. Um <laughs> It also has an Arabic theme, which I think if you think about it, it's pretty interesting because, again, written in 65, you know, yeah. it, it was. It That's was the piece of the filmmaking way. I'm disappointed by. There, it's not reflected in the cast at all. 
And that that's the piece of it. I wish they'd leaned into a little bit more so that representation was more accurate. Obviously it's sci-fi. They can be whatever, right? It's fantasy. It can be whatever. But I, I truly wish we'd seen some more Middle Eastern, more Arabic representation within the film in order to really tie those themes back to the original intent of the book. Interesting. Okay, I'm going to continue with a couple more trivia questions. You're doing quite well, actually. Thank you. Okay. The helmets from the Harkonnen soldiers are based on the heads of what? I have no idea. Insects. Oh, cool. (laughs) By the way, I knew you were going to say that. I said, ew, and you said, cool. (laughs) Just speak to the differences between us. Okay, so, and Rebecca Ferguson, who does, does a good job, but she plays the mother of Timothy uh, Chalamet, and she's 12 years older than him. Like, what? You well, know? it's a hell of a role, and, and to be fair, he does look young. Um, he's, he's meant to look younger, um, and she is meant to be a, a beautiful, she, she's actually not his wife, that's part of the story, is that he never marries her, the Duke, Isaac, who is we should talk about Oscar Isaac, uh, who's phenomenal in the movie. Her character really comes into her own in the next part. Uh, And I I can absolutely understand why she took this role. When when you see the, and Zendaya as well, she's kind of barely in the movie for those of you who are going to see it for her. She'll become, she really comes into her own in the next film. Interesting. Interesting. I, the producers wanted Emma Roberts to play the role of princess Rulan. Um, but she, hmm. yeah, they just gave up because that again, schedule conflict, which is usually what these well, she's are. not even in this movie. No, they wanted her to play the role. They couldn't get it. They no, no, it. not her. Sorry. The character is not even in this movie. I know. Well, that's why they took the movie, the character out. Oh, <laughs> um, oh because they, just couldn't, they couldn't make it happen again. It's so interesting to me how you can manipulate a film this big and this mega everything about it. You can take stuff out, put it in, put people mm-hmm. in, take them out. It works. It's not the same thing as something that's a little less complex. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I would say though, this is, this is worth going to the theater for. It is a very slow burn. Be patient with it. I think it pays off if you like a big scope film. This will sweep you up in it, but you have to have the patience to sit through it. It is a feast for the eyes, though. It is quite, quite overwhelmingly beautiful. So I would say go see it and go see it in the theater. Go see it in IMAX if you can. I'm going to go back and see it in IMAX. I just think it's it's a breathtaking film. Um, but and well, and I w- I'd like to end with, you know me, I love quotes, right? So um, Jamis says, the mystery of life isn't a problem to solve, but a reality to experience, mm-hmm. a process that cannot be understood by stopping it. We must move with the flow of the process. We must join it. We must flow with it. So I'm going to end there and say, I begrudgingly appreciate you making me see this film, but you can only do one every three months or so. It's just hard. Oh, that's when they come out anyway. So, you know, we'll go with the flow of time as it were. Okay. Thanks so much, Wilder. Thanks everybody for listening. <laughs> <laughs>